Knowing Jesus is the central issue in life. Not merely knowing about him, not simply studying about him, not just analyzing, critiquing, or debating about him, but knowing him. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Knowing Christ personally, as he is revealed in scriptures, transforms our lives. Join us in our Jesus Up Close series as we learn from men and women who had face-to-face -face encounters with Jesus. We hope you enjoy. The answer at all, but I really am having trouble not, you know, with that music, that intro music. I'm really struggling to keep it together up here. So anyway, hey, uh, glad you guys are here. Glad you're watching online. If you're watching online, uh, you can pray for Pastor Rob this morning. He is suffering through preaching a sermon in Hawaii today. Um, so... I don't know. I don't ever get to preach in Hawaii. I'll be okay. Anyway, uh, so anyway, so he's preaching this morning in Hawaii, and then like an hour later, he's supposed to be on a plane. So hopefully uh, he, he, you know, isn't long-winded today, or he could miss his flight. So anyway, hey, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever experienced power? Um, or let me say it like this. Like, what do you think of when you think of something that is powerful, my, my first thoughts, whenever I think of power, is something that, like, I automatically go to things in nature, all right? So, like, the first thing I thought of in my head was Niagara Falls. Now, I've never been to Niagara Falls. How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody? Okay, many of you have been to Niagara Falls. I only imagine, I can imagine that just seems like it's very awe-inspiring, like very powerful, Okay, so maybe someday I'll make it to, uh, to Niagara Falls. But there's another place that I think of, and again, I've never been here, but in Portugal, there's a city called Nazaré. Okay, any of you know anything about Nazaré, Portugal? Okay, okay, so, okay, any surfers? Any of you in the room ever surf? Okay, so that might be the only reason that, that people know about Nazaré, Portugal, but it's, it's popular because of surfing there. Um, I am not... A surfer, not built for it, no skills, okay? But before I meet my maker, no need to laugh at that, okay? You know. Uh, so, but before I meet my maker, I would like to make it to Nazare, Portugal, and because of this, so when the conditions are right, okay, when the conditions are right, the Nazare, Portugal, the waves get to be 60, 70, 80, 90 feet tall, okay? Like you can't imagine how big those waves are when the waves are right. Like, listen, I'm not very good at, at guessing these things, but I'm guessing that our building right here from roof to, from ceiling down is about 30 feet, okay? So, so what's recognized, at the, or, and I think it still is, what was recognized as the largest wave ever ridden, okay? Uh, there's a guy named Garrett McNamara in Nazare, Portugal. He rode a wave that they estimated at 95 feet tall, it scared, like I was watching this video, it just scared me watching it, okay? So I want to go there in the worst way, but I don't want to go in the water, okay? <laughs> like I don't have any desire to go in the water. What I want to do is right, right, where this, right where these waves happen, there's a big old hill, and at the, on this hill, there's a lighthouse. And so again, when conditions are right, crazy surfers from all over the world were flying to Portugal to surf there, and then that hill gets filled with people, okay? And like, it's such a big thing. Like, uh, you know, you go out to Zuma and you see people, they're paddling into waves. You can't paddle into these waves, okay? What has, you have to have a partner who you get on, they're on a jet ski and they tow you into the wave, all right? And that jet ski partner is like your, your most important person in your life in that moment. 
Because also, when something goes wrong, your jet ski partner is the person that gets you out of there. All right, because when you crash, and you will, you need someone to get you out of that area. And so, actually, I got to get moving because I could actually talk about Nazareth, Portugal all day long. All right. But let me just encourage you all if you have nothing to do this afternoon, go on YouTube and just type in Nazareth, Portugal, N A Z A R E. And uh, it's really incredible. And so, I think of that when I think of power. All right. Now, there's one other thing I was thinking about this week. As I say, it's a different example of power. But a couple years ago, I went to what's called a Mecham car auction. Any of you ever been to a car auction? All right. So I went to a Mecham car auction with my dad, my oldest brother, and my oldest son. And so we went to Las Vegas, to the Las Vegas Convention Center for the Mecham car auction. It was pretty incredible. I mean, there were hundreds of classic cars that they were selling, um, some that were untouched by time. Like they're, they're, they're 60 years old and no one's done anything to them and some that have been completely uh, modified. And it was really incredible. And I, I'll be honest with you, I was there. I wanted to bid on a car in the worst way, okay? I just wanted to at some point be able to raise my hand and have them call my number. The problem is you had to pay 200 bucks just to have the privilege to bid on a car. And so I didn't think it was worth that much to me. So as a matter of fact, while you're at the auction, like the car would be right where I'm standing and they have screens just like these that are up there, and there's a picture of it, they're so nice to you that if you finance through them, okay, in the bottom corner, they have a thing that'll tell you, like, how much it is per month, okay? So as the bids are rising, that monthly payment is rising as well, and at about $700 per month is when they would just drop it off the screen, okay? So I guess, like, at that much, you'd, you, you, you'd, you know, if, you'd, if it's more than that, you're not financing it kind of a thing. But so anyways, it was really fun. My dad loved it. My dad's a car guy. I'm not a car guy at all. Look, I love cars, okay, uh, but I don't know anything about cars. I was with a couple of guys from church recently, and I don't know, they're car guys. They know what they're talking about, and they're, they're talking about, I don't know, crankshafts and torque this and torque that and whatever, whatever. And I'm just sitting there going, I don't know, I just turned it on and I hit the gas pedal. I, I, don't, I don't know anything about cars, but I have a Dodge Challenger, and my Dodge Challenger has enough horsepower to get me in trouble, 425 horsepower, okay? And so it's pretty strong. Pretty unnecessary. I live a half a mile from here. Okay? So I got all that horsepower for two lights. Kind of, kind of seems kind of foolish. I don't really worry about burning through gas because I literally go a half a mile. Um, but anyway, I, I have my Challenger and I love it. But at this, at this Mecham car auction, one of the incredible things was, and I thought this was something you had to pay for, but you didn't. It was free. And so at one point we signed up, which we all, all, all four of us, we signed these papers. I'm pretty sure these were papers saying if you die, you can't, you know, your family can't sue us. None of us read the papers, okay? But we signed these papers and we got inside these challengers. So I got in the pasture seat, got buckled in with this harness, and I was in a challenger that had over 700 horsepower. Oh, it was great. It made me want one in the worst way. I mean, could you imagine how great that half mile would be with 700 horsepower? But anyway, I got in this car, they buckled me in, and this professional driver took me on this little track. Listen, I've been married for over 30 years, I have two children. This was the greatest eight to 10 seconds of my life. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, just burning rubber like a figure eight tra around the track, and it was so much fun. You know, even my, like my dad, my dad got in and they drove him around. My dad used to be a hot rod driver, you know, but my dad got out with a big old smile on his face. Like it was, it was awesome. And so I think of that kind of stuff. As a matter of fact, I had a video at one point. I don't know what happened to the video of it, but it was great. And so power like that can be really inspiring, whether it's something in nature or something else. Power is very inspiring. But for others, 
Like that kind of power could be fear-inducing. Like some of you are sitting here today and you're like, no way. No way would I have gotten in that car. Um, But today, as we look at our story about Jesus, today we're going to be looking at at Jesus who had amazing power. Uh, And more powerful than just a car engine or a wave. Uh, Because Jesus' power had, had a lot of different layers to it. Jesus had the power to heal people. But he also had the power to inspire people with his words. And so we see both of those in our story today. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to read verses 28 and 29. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. And so the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching. And that's, one of the th- that's the first thing I want you to notice. They were amazed at his teaching. As we read through the Gospels, there's quite a few times where you read about the crowds. And it talks about how they reacted to Jesus. And sometimes you read about the crowds and they'll say that he astonished them. Okay? Other times we'll read like this passage says, it says that he amazed them. There's one passage we're going to look at. It says that he delighted the crowd. I don't know why, I just love that verse, okay? And we'll get to it, and I'll I'll chuckle a little more when we get to it. But I love where it says that that he delighted the people. So Jesus amazed them with his teaching. Matter of fact, we're gonna look at some of these verses. Um, In Matthew chapter 12, and verses 22 and 23, says they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished. Now, wouldn't you be astonished too? Like, honestly, if you'd been there, you would have been astonished, all right? This is all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Like, they saw this, like, ooh, maybe there is something special about this guy. All right, in Matthew 15, verse 31, it says, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking, and the blind seen. Of course, like I said earlier, you'd be amazed too if you saw people being healed. But then it ends by saying, and they praised the God of Israel, okay? And so he was amazing people, but it wasn't just for that healing. Their response was to praise God. In Matthew 22, verse 29-33, says, Jesus replied, you're an heir because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, nor will they be like angels in heaven, or they will be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to them? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. In Mark chapter 2, verse 12, it says, He got up, they're talking about a paralyzed man. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. In Mark 11, verse 15, it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests... And the teacher of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. So the crowds are amazed, astonished, and delighted. But the leaders are looking for a way to get rid of him. It says, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And in Luke 13, 17, it says, when he said this, all his opponents were humiliated. 
But the people were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. Okay, and so I don't know why, but that verse just makes me chuckle. Because Jesus is saying, he's speaking with such authority, he's humiliating these people that are opposed to him, and that delighted the crowd. Okay, and I don't know if why, maybe it's because the people that were leading them were normally so arrogant and so prideful, and so like, I'm so much better than all of you, and so to see someone putting them in their place, I mean, it just must have been awesome, okay? And so Jesus did and said these things that were amazing and that were astonishing, but, but, but what I want to point out is what amazed Jesus, okay? Because those passages are great. But twice in the Gospels, you read about Jesus being amused, or not amused, okay? I'm sure he was amused by some of us, maybe even annoyed. But what I want to talk about is being, being amazed, all right? There's two times where you read about Jesus being amazed. This first one, we're not going to look at, but in, but in Mark chapter 6, we read the story of Jesus going home. And in Mark chapter 6, Jesus goes to his hometown, and it says that he's not able to do miracles there. Now, I love the fact the Bible says he's not able to do miracles there. It says he was just able to heal a few people and heal a few sick people, you know? Like, I'm like, that'd be pretty impressive to see, okay? But the idea that he, he wasn't able to do anything really in that town, why? Because they lacked faith. And so the Bible tells us that he was amazed at their lack of faith. I don't want to amaze Jesus that way. Okay, I don't know about you, but I don't want to amaze Jesus with my lack of faith. But that's one of two times we read about Jesus being amazed in the Gospels. The second one, we're going to read it together in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who are listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, now this is important, a centurion servant was someone who worked for Rome. He was not Jewish. This was not a guy who was a child of Israel. Okay? He was outside of the people of Israel. He was a Gentile. There was a centurion servant whom this master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowds following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Jesus is amazed at the faith of this centurion, this Gentile, this guy that's not even a Jew. Do you want to amaze Jesus? I don't want to amaze Jesus like the first verse, okay? I'd like to amaze Jesus like the second verse. And so how do we amaze him? We amaze him by trusting in him, by putting our faith in him. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we say. It's not about what we tell people. It's like, it's actually trusting him, putting our trust in him. The second part of those verses that we talked about there, it talked about Jesus speaking with authority, and, uh, and this was how, and I, and I love how it's, it's suggested that this is not something they're used to hearing, okay? 
And uh, this may not be a big point to you, but as someone who often stands up in front of people and talks, this verse has always stood out to me. Because I've always sat there and thought, oh Lord, please help me to be more like Jesus and not like those other people. You know, help me not to be sitting there up talking and going, oh boy, this guy's awful. Or he speaks with no authority. And yet I realized, listen, I'm not Jesus, okay? I can't speak like Jesus. Uh, Jesus had authority, why? Well, because he was the authority. Okay, like in John chapter one, what do we read? We read in John chapter one, the Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in John chapter one, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so we know it's talking about Jesus. And it says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus was spoke with authority because he was the authority. Like everything was created by him and for him. And so that's why he was able to speak with such authority. I would like to speak with authority. But even more so, I would love to have been able to just sit there and listen to Jesus. Okay? Like, I would have loved to have been able to just sit at Jesus' feet and to hear him speak and to hear how he communicated. Like, like we have words of his, but I feel like it would be something different just to be sitting at his feet and listening to him and being amazed by his words and his incredible teaching. All right, we're going we're to go on to the second part of this. So in Matthew chapter 8, this is actually the section I think Pastor Rob wanted me to talk about. <clears throat> so in Matthew chapter 8, says, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, which I'd love that Jesus says this, but you know that's impossible, right? Like, this isn't the first time, this isn't the only time we read that in the Bible. Like, Jesus has to know that he's asking this person to do something that's impossible. Like, if you're a leper and Jesus heals you, of course you're not going to be able to keep this to yourself. Like, there are, like I said, there are other times where Jesus does stuff and he tells people to keep it quiet. And then you read about the people going out and telling everybody. Okay? And I love that. You know, because I think it's impossible. It's impossible for him not to tell others. Now, a side note is, Jesus often tells people not to say anything, and they can't help but share it. You and I, we've been called to tell people about Jesus and about what Jesus has done in our lives. And how often do we not do that? And how often do we keep it to ourselves? That's a different sermon. We'll get to it later. Then he said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And so Jesus has the crowds following him. He has the crowds following him and, and he encounters this man with leprosy. And so we've talked about leprosy many times over the years, so I don't feel like I need to really uh, hammer this point too much. But this guy, because of his leprosy, he would have been a man that was all alone. Okay? It, it would have caused him to stay away from everybody. And so he had a disease that was uncurable, and it was unbearable, and that probably wasn't even the worst part. The, probably the worst part was not the physical suffering that came along with it. I would assume it's the isolation and the loneliness that came with being a leper that would have been the real big problem. So all of us that are introverts, okay, all of us that are introverts in the room, we probably think for a moment it would be all right to have leprosy, okay? 
Like just for, you know, and I don't know how all of you are. You know, some people are energized by people. Some people are exhausted by people. Some people love big crowds. Some people like just a few. Okay, so for the introverts in the room, you're probably like, oh yeah, I could handle being, staying away from people. Okay, the problem is this. You're not just forced to isolate from the difficult people, but you're also forced to isolate from the people that you love. Your spouse, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your mom, your dad, your family, the people that you know, your friends. And so I feel like for anybody with leprosy, that would have been an incredibly large toll on them. But even bigger than that, for a first century Jew, would have been the idea that as a person that had leprosy, they wouldn't have been able to go into the temple to worship. And so not only were they cut off from their people, they were cut off from their worship of the Lord. You know, like in our, in our day today, it would be the idea that someone couldn't come into church because of their leprosy. And I can imagine how difficult that would have been. And so really just that word, calling him a leper, tells us so much about his life. And so we could ramble on about this all day. Well, I could ramble on about this all day. But there's four things I want you to notice about this story. Number one, I want you to notice that the leper came to Jesus in humility. Okay? The leper came to Jesus in humility. He's in desperate need. He takes a risk going near Jesus. And instead of demanding Jesus do something, he approaches Jesus in humble adoration. Jesus owed him nothing. Okay, and yet he came to Jesus. And I could, I could go on a whole side note or a side track here, but, but I want you to understand this. Jesus owed him nothing. Jesus owes us nothing. This world owes us all nothing. Okay? Again, that'll maybe be in another sermon, but Jesus owed this guy nothing. He didn't have to do anything for him. But this man comes to Jesus humbly. And again, I, I just think, you know what? God will always respond better to us coming before him in humility as opposed to us coming to him with prideful demands, okay? Like as a parent, don't you think that's true for you as a parent, if you're a parent in here? Aren't you always gonna respond better to a child coming to you with a humble request as opposed to a prideful demand? And why would we think you know, God is any different than that? Scripture repeatedly says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so this man comes to Jesus in humility. He throws himself down at Jesus' feet. The, the second thing I want you to notice about this leper is he comes to Jesus in faith. He comes to Jesus in faith. He believed. He came to Jesus believing that he could heal him. He didn't have to be convinced. He didn't question uh, whether Jesus was able to heal him or not. But instead, the question was not whether Jesus could heal him. It was whether Jesus was willing to heal him. Okay? He says it. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And so I, I think of this passage, I think, you know what? Faith impresses Jesus. Okay? Faith impresses Jesus. We do all kinds of things maybe to try to impress God. But what he really wants to be impressed by is our faith. And so he isn't impressed by our perfect attendance. He's not impressed by our large offerings. Okay? Uh, he, he's not impressed by our knowledge of Scripture. Again, none of those three things are bad. We want you here at church. We want you to come. We want you to be faithful in your giving like God wants us to be. He, I want you to be faithful in, in knowing and learning Scripture. But that isn't what impresses God. What impresses him is your faith and your trust in him. All of those other things are just habits and rituals without faith in Jesus. 
Okay? And so it's very possible to come to church every Sunday. It's very possible to put money in the offering. It's very possible to do all kinds of different wonderful things and yet still not know Jesus and still not put our faith in him. And so this guy comes to Jesus in faith. So again, do you want to impress Jesus? Come to him with faith. Because the third thing, and this goes right along with the second thing here, is you know what? Jesus is moved by faith. Jesus is moved by faith. You can find this story also in the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, it says when Jesus comes across this guy, it says that Jesus' response, in my NIV, it says that Jesus' response was to be indignant. Okay? But down in the little footnotes, down in the bottom of the page, it says it can be translated compassion. All right? And so when Jesus comes across this leper, and this leper throws himself at his feet, and he sees his faith, Jesus is moved by the faith of this guy. And, and, and so I went to college 30 years ago. So there aren't very many Greek words I remember from my two semesters of Greek. And I'm pretty sure Pastor Rob and I, we only remember the same one word, okay, from Greek. And it's this word that's used for indignant or compassion. And it's a word that what it means is like Jesus' stomach was turned. You ever been in one of those situations where you're so like, you know, something's going on and your stomach is just turned upside down and you just feel it right in here? That's what this word is. And so Jesus sees this guy, and he sees his faith, and Jesus is moved by him, like he's physically, he has a physical reaction to the faith of this man. He probably felt like he was all alone, and yet he wasn't all alone. God had been with him all along, but in this moment, Jesus was right there with him. So I assume none of us here today are lepers, Okay. I assume none of us here are lepers, but you know what? Some of us here are going through very difficult times in our lives. And you might not feel much better than this leper did who threw himself down at Jesus' feet. And what I need you to know, and you need to know, is you know, in this moment, in those struggles, you are not alone. That God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't wandered off. But instead, God is right there next to you as you're dealing with those situations, as you're dealing with those things. Again, it's so easy for us to go, Lord, where are you? And yet God really wants to say, I'm right next to you. I'm right there with you. Okay? And so it's so important for us to remember. But, but also when I think of this passage, and when I think of what this guy didn't have, I think about what we do have. And you know what, this, this, thing, this passage reminds me of the importance of the church. Okay? This passage reminds me of the, the, the importance of the church because as we go through the struggles of life and as we go through difficulties, and we all will, none of us are immune. We will all deal with difficult times. Is you know what? God has given us his church to come alongside us, to encourage us, to love us, to be his hands and to be his feet. Okay? In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You and I, we are called to carry each other's burdens. Okay, We're we're called to carry something that that I can't carry on my own. I need you to come alongside me and to help me with that. And there are going to be times where you are carrying something and trying to carry something that you can't carry on your own. And so you need someone to come alongside you and to lift you up. And so that's our job. Okay, It isn't just to come in here. And to say hi, you know, 
But, but our job is to come in here and to carry each other's burdens, to help each other. And you know what, there are sometimes, like, I don't know, like most of us, we want to fix things. But, but a lot of times we can't fix anything. And so the best thing that we can do to carry somebody else's burden is just to be there. Just to sit there. You know, doesn't involve doing anything, but just to be available. That's what God has called us to do. That's what Jesus does for this guy. And so getting back to our story, Jesus is moved by faith. And he shows that he is a man of compassion. Um, One of the things that I I loved about this story is the idea that I know you're not supposed to touch a leper. Okay? You're not supposed to touch a leper. And so I love in this story when the guy says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing. And he reaches out and he touches the man. I love that so much because when I think about this, and again, we may not think about it, but as a leper, who knows when the last time this guy had felt anyone's touch? Who knows when the last time is anybody had, had just even simply touched him? And obviously, you're not supposed to touch a leper because you're not, you don't want to get leprosy. Something tells me Jesus didn't have to worry about that. Okay? It was against the Old Testament law to touch something that was unclean. Again, I'm not sure that Jesus had to worry about that. Okay? But I love the fact that Jesus could have just said, you're healed, could have waved his arm, but Jesus reached out his hands and he touches them, and it's a touch of restoration. And so in his book, Skip Heisker says this, he says, they were, talking about the people, they were repulsed, but Jesus was responsive. They were shocked, but Jesus was sympathetic. They moved back, but Jesus moved in. They were horrified. Jesus was glorified. And so the bottom line for us is this, is that you know what? When God finds faith, he will often do the unthinkable in our lives. And so again, for those of you that, that are coming here today and you feel like you may not be in a position too different from this leper, I want you to know that God feels your pain and God knows what's going on. And I wish that I could fix it. And there are other people here that wish they could fix it, but we can't. Like if I could heal people, I actually wouldn't be here right now. I'd be at West Hills Hospital. Okay, that's where I'd be. But we can come alongside each other and encourage each other and lift each other up. And God has blessed us. For those of you that come here today and life is good and life is easy, okay? God hasn't blessed you with that just so you can hoard it to yourself. God has blessed you with that so that you can bless others. And you can come alongside other people and help carry their burden. So don't hoard his goodness to yourself. You don't have to be able to heal somebody in order to be able to come alongside them in compassion. So I want to close this morning, and I want to read something to you that I read this week. And, and so the danger might be as I read it for you to feel small, okay? And I want you to feel that way for just a moment, okay? But let me finish before you get offended or, or feel small, too small. And, and we're late in the service. You can close your eyes if you need to. I'll wake you up at the end. It's, it's, just, it's just a paragraph, so I think I'm safe. But anyway... I read this this week and it just hit me. It says, we are living in the Milky Way, one of billions of galaxies that make up the universe. The Milky Way contains several billion stars and measures roughly 70,000 light years in diameter. The sun, our nearest star, is 93 million miles away, and the nearest neighbor star, Alpha Centauri, is 25 trillion miles away. The sun is 860,000 miles in diameter, large enough to fit 101 fit 1.2 million planets the size of Earth in it. Earth moves through space at 45,000 miles per hour and is home to about 8 billion people at present time. 
So do you feel small yet? Like you feel, you understand the vastness of the universe, the idea that there's eight billion of us, okay? Hard to feel special when there's eight billion of you, okay? And yet, what we know because of what scripture says is out of all those creatures, you know what? God knows your name and he knows who you are and he knows what you're dealing with and he knows what you're going through. He knows your triumphs and he knows your struggles. He knows the things that are causing and bringing you joy and he also knows the things that are causing you pain. And so he knows us and he loves us. And I think that's something to be amazed at and thankful for today. And so remember that, that he loves you. And our response to him is to come to him with faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the hope that we find in it. I thank you for people like this leper who came in humility. Not coming demanding, but coming in humility, looking for hope, looking for deliverance. And I thank you that you delivered. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people. Lord, help us not to just keep it all to ourselves, Lord, but help us to come alongside each other, to lift each other up, to encourage, to support in the difficult times and in the good times. Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust in you and to put our faith in you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Tender mercies and your love that you've always shown me. You forget all my rebellion.